Hello, you're listening to the Coffee and Books Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. Hope all of you are having a wonderful Saturday. It's beautiful outside today here. Um, I have just finished reading a new book I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, this one is a special one. It is called African Samurai, the story of Yusuke. Uh, it is a true story. We're going to talk all about that today. And I uh, just wanted to give you all a heads up about this podcast. Uh, it is going to be mentioning a couple of dark topics today, including slavery, suicide, and warfare. Uh, so that is your warning ahead of time. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to like and share this podcast with friends. Um, I like to read and talk about everything, TV shows, books, history. Uh, you know, I read so many different things. I read about 60 books a year, and I'm bringing that to your attention um, you know, I've done things on anime, I've done things on sports, I've done things on all different topics, anything that intrigues me, and really anything you guys want to know about. All right, so let's get into the juicy details of today's book. Um, it is uh, published in 2021, it's about 470 pages long. Um, it is, a, I think, a very decent book that is pretty knowledgeable about the story of Yusuke, which we're going to learn has just recently sort of come to light in the spotlight. So, who is Yusuke? Well, Yusuke was an African man who was born somewhere in the continent. We're not exactly sure, unfortunately, because this was around the time of the 1500s. So, unfortunately, we don't have the best you know, records or things that would exactly say where he was from. We know he was from a small village. Um, a couple of different cultures claim him in countries today. I believe uh, Mozambique is uh, one of the countries that claims him, as well as Ethiopia. Uh, but it's believed that he was from Mozambique and that he was most likely taken as a slave uh, and trained to be a soldier. Uh, so we have to talk a little bit about that first and what was going on at the time. Uh, so the 1500s, of course, the world was being um, explored so to speak, but basically it was being colonized by other European nations. As I've mentioned in my previous podcast, the Portuguese were one of those countries. Uh, But basically, we don't exactly know who it was, but there was a group of people, most likely it was actually at this time, the uh, either fellow Africans or Muslims from the Middle East that went into this part of the country and murdered all the, the entire villagers. So basically the adults were killed, the children were sold into slavery for different purposes, such as servants and soldiers and sex slaves, unfortunately. And, um, you know, this boy, Yusuke, would eventually grow up to be in the soldier camp. So he was trained to be a soldier. He was considered strong. And basically, he was taken to India, where he was trained to fight in war. And he was trained how to use a spear. He was trained how to use different things. And we just know that that's where the story sort of begins. You know, he was taken... From his family, his home when he was about 12 years old. And that's really all the records we have up until that point because his life wasn't really, unfortunately, worth noting at that time. All right. So he trained for warfare. It was in India. It was here where he was sold to a Portuguese Jesuit missionary, Alessandro Villangiano, which I hope I'm saying that right. And so Alessandro was actually very high up and very important in terms of the Jesuits. He was actually the number three person... Um, behind the Pope, and it's very important to note this. This person uh, was actually in charge, Alessandro was in charge of taking care of a third of the world's population and saving their souls, meaning it was his job to help the Jesuits' mission to spread Christianity to uh, the Asian, in particular West Indies, 
um, area of the world. So he was responsible for, you know, the Philippines, Japan, China, um, you know, India. He was responsible for a very large percentage of people. And uh, this was around the time when first contact was being made with Japan. Japan up until this point had not been introduced to basically the wider world. And it was originally before this that Alessandro's men had actually landed in Nagasaki. That was where they were permitted to trade. And that was where they were permitted to live. That was the first sort of city where this story takes place. So Nagasaki in the 1500s. Um, and we have Alessandro headed that way. He decides that on his mission, which is a very long journey, um, he stops in India and decides that he needs protection. He does not have enough Portuguese soldiers and people with him to protect him, so he hires, of course, using the church under the guise of needing protection because he's a very important person. He hires Yusuke as a bodyguard. Um, and so there were probably other soldiers and people who were taken with him as well, but it is worth noting that Yusuke was one of a kind, a very top soldier, most likely had fled you know, from his previous captors and fought in different campaigns and wars and was already a well-established soldier by this time. And then we know that, like I said, that uh, Yusuke and Alessandro, along with other Jesuits, arrived in about 1579. Next, we know that Yusuke was actually presented as a gift, um, you know, because he was the first, you know, African, like, man in Japan he was presented as a gift, as a servant to the dynamo, Nobunga, Oda Nobunga to be specific. And Oda Nobunga is a well-known dynamo as being one of the people who tried to end the universal civil war that was going on in Japan. Japan was not unified at this point, and it had been 100 years since anyone could unify it. And Nobunga was the most powerful man in Japan. Him and his family were about to reunify the country when Yusuke arrived. And so after that, he would, you know, of course, claim the title of shogun, and he would be the supreme ruler, even, you know, having more power than the emperor of Japan himself. Uh, you know, quick history lesson, the samurai were in charge until the 1800s, so about from the 1100s to the 1800s, uh, I believe it was about 1860, the samurai were in complete control of Japanese society. So, having said all that, uh, Nabunga took a huge interest in the Jesuits because they were giving him support if he would convert to Christianity. And like I said, Yusuke was presented as a gift to retain the interest of Nabunga. Nabunga had never seen a black man before. He tried to wash what he considered the ink off of the skin of Yusuke, um, and then he realized once Yusuke was really black and really a real person, he decided that this is a good luck um, and, you know, person, a person who's black. Because, you know, at that point in time in Japanese society, there were many beliefs that uh, people who were black or black, uh, like, were similar to the statues of Buddhists in Japan and in Asia in general. There were many other uh, people who had black statues of Buddha, and therefore Yusuke, being a one-of-a-kind person in Japan, was considered to be lucky, which I think is very interesting as well. All right, so we have all that going on. Uh, Yusuke becomes a servant of Nabunga, um, and like I said, he's considered lucky. Uh, Yusuke becomes a source of information to Nabunga about the outside world. Uh, he tells him about uh, you know, like what the world is like outside of Japan. And as a result, Nabunga gifts him with wealth 
uh, weapons, his own servants, a home, uh, things that were not the same as in the slave slavery that Yusuke was used to. Although he was still owned by Nabunga, and although he was technically a slave, he was permitted to walk around the you know cities and go through Kyoto. He was permitted weapons, you know, and this is all very fascinating for multiple reasons. One, Yusuke, you know, had never experienced that in his entire life. You know, his entire life as a slave is incredible that he made it up to this point because most people die before then, uh, either through disease and hardship on the boats uh, or being beaten mercilessly, uh, you know, by captors or, you know, from not only that, but you have to survive warfare. Just the fact he made it to Japan alone is incredible. And then to not only go to Japan, but to succeed in communicating in Japanese and being a translator and being somebody who was in the court of this powerful uh, dynamo was a huge, huge ordeal. Not only did he excel at this and impress his captors, uh, Yusuke, like I said, had the complete trust of them. So his life went from living in basically a cell uh, to basically becoming one of the top leaders in the country. Yusuke, you know, eventually would become a samurai. He was the first African samurai, um, and he's one of the first foreigners to ever become a samurai. Um, and so that's a huge ordeal um, in Japan because most outsiders never get to that point, and Yusuke was considered highly worth, you know, like all the effort that Nabunga put into him. And like I said, as a result of all this, uh, Yusuke gave that information to Nabunga. He willingly told him about the world, what religion was like, what Christianity was like. And he learned about guns and cannons and, you know, like just the different ways that, that the world works, you know. And so that was very important because Nabunga, after unifying Japan, wanted to spread his power to the rest of the world. Okay, so Yusuke, like I said, was... Uh, have been taught Japanese by his captors. Uh, you know, like specifically the Jesuits encouraged Yusuke to integrate into the culture in order to win favor for the Jesuits' cause. So he was taught to learn and how to speak and how to talk to the uh, dynamos in order to convince them of his, you know, like civilized manner. Now, next we have that Yusuke was being described as about six foot two um, and the strength of multiple, multiple men. He was very strong. Uh, you know, he's a very well in shape guy. Uh, and, you know, like I said, everything had to be built for him because he was so large in Japan. You know, at that time, even though we probably don't think of 6'2 as being that tall, uh, in Japan specifically, many people were much shorter. So everything from his personal clothes to his own home had to, and his weapons as well had to be tailored to his size. So that's something to worth to note as well. Um, he would be considered well over seven foot tall by today's standards. So he's a very tall person. And then next we have, of course, uh, Nabunga was betrayed, the final betrayal of the story. So Yusuke is, like I said, a loyal retainer. He's become a samurai. He's been honored by this uh, you know, dynamo. And then we find out that Nabunga is, you know, had all this power, but he had other generals and soldiers in his army as well that were fighting wars for him. And Nabunga was betrayed by his star general, Akichi Mitsudi. Uh, Nabunga was forced to commit suicide, or seppuku, uh, after losing in Kyoto. And Yusuke is being listed as president of history. So this is important for multiple different reasons. One, uh, Nabunga 
who is this experienced soldier and experienced leader, you know, made a mistake. And his mistake was he believed that everything was almost finally in his control and that he was invincible and that everyone would just listen to him, his sons, you know, like he would retain the title and power. And one of his generals, who was of lower class birth uh, and worked his way up in the rankings, uh, you know, started out as like a servant and eventually led his way into favor with Nabunga, uh, was treated poorly by Nabunga. Nabunga often insulted him and called him monkey face. Uh, it's believed that this soldier, Akichi's uh, mother, was sold uh, by Obunga. So there was a lot of terrible stuff that happened that Obunga did to Akichi. And Akichi eventually wanted to take the power for himself. He convinced his soldiers to mutiny and, you know, took Kyoto, which had never experienced a battle, you know, like that in a very, very long time. And essentially he caught uh, Obunga with his pants down. Obunga was not expecting any type of warfare and he didn't keep a big routine of soldiers with him in the capital city, Kyoto. So when Akichi attacked, the city was unprepared. Um, and, of course, Nabunga realized that the chips fell down, he lost, there's no way of him escaping, there's only one thing he could possibly do. You know, rather than being taken prisoner, Nabunga decided to commit suicide. And this is very important to note in the story because Yusuke is being listed as a very important figure in that process. Normally, you know, suicide in Japan is talked about in a different way than it is in other countries. And it's very important to note that Obunga, you know, believed that he was doing the right thing to ease the burden on other people because he had failed and he didn't want to see his family line disrespected, as well as the fact that he knew if he was taken as a prisoner of war, he would be humiliated and just degraded. So he thought the best thing to do would be to kill himself. Now, rather than do it in a particular way like poison or anything else, most samurai in Japan and Dynamo were famous for uh, this uh, type of suicide called seppuku, which is where they take a sword and basically stab themselves and, you know, their stomach. So it is very sad, it is very painful, um, and usually there is a second chosen, a person that would finish the process if the person could no longer continue. Um, Yusuke was chosen as one of those people to be in the room and witness the death of this person. So... With his master being dead, Yusuke being a samurai would actually now become what is called ronin. He was masterless. He no longer had somebody who could give him orders. And uh, he was given the final instructions of presenting Nobunga uh, to his son. So that way Nobunga could know, Nobunga's sons could know what happened to them. And uh, that basically ended up with Yusuke uh, disappearing. We don't exactly know what happened. And now we're going to get into that. Uh, but it's important to know that Yusuke did stand by Nobunga's sons for a brief time and fought in wars, and then he stops being mentioned in history. So we're not really 100% sure what happened to him, but these, these are some theories that the author came up with at the end of the story. Um, number one, uh, Yusuke would have stayed in Japan and been a ronin samurai, and he could have obviously settled down and married somebody and, you know, had children and basically just lived a quiet life. He did have money, so it's, you know, possible that Nabunga had left him with enough resources to uh, live a comfortable, modest life if, you know, he chose to do so. So that's the, the happy answer that, 
Um, Yusuke probably, as an African ronin samurai, probably couldn't be a retainer for any other samurai or, you know, dynamo, and had to choose a life of solitude and basically had to settle down. Uh, option number two, he could have stayed with the Jesuits. The Jesuits, after all, were the people that raised him um, and helped him. Uh, you know, although he wasn't trained by them for warfare, you know, it's very likely he had very useful skills. Uh, you know, besides just being a translator and being somebody who could defend them, you know, as a warrior, it's very possible that he stayed with the Jesuits because they would take care of him. They would feed him, they would clothe him, they might use his services. Uh, more importantly, the Jesuits did go to other countries, and it's very possible that Yusuke went on to North America and went to places like Mexico or any other place that was, you know, part of the Spanish Empire at the time. Uh, so it is a, another possibility that, you know, Yusuke left Japan, and that's why we don't no longer have a re any kind of record of what happened to him. Uh, and there's also another mention of a possibility, this is where if he stayed in Japan, of course, is that samurai titles were hereditary, and that there are uh, soldiers that were described throughout history, in particular later in the 1800s, there's a, a very uh, specific photograph of uh, a, a group of samurai, and one of them is African-American looking, or African looking. So what I mean by that is that his features looked like he had descended from Yusuke, there were not many Africans that were in Japan uh, previous to Japan's isolationism. So it's very possible that if Yusuke did stay, that he passed on his genetic lineage and that there were certain samurai that were descended from that. So there's not many samurai that were black and there's not many samurai or there's not many black people in Japan in general. So it's possible that that is somebody who was related to him. Um, Number three, a sad possibility is that he died in battle, um, and that was the end. Uh, it is very, very possible as well, is that Yusuke, yes, he could have gone with the Jesuits, or yes, he could have settled down, but there's the possibility he stayed and continued to fight with Nabunga's sons, and that it is a very, very good possibility that he went into warfare and helped these people um, that you know had given him this amazing opportunity, and while he was extremely loyal to them and, you know, their family, they didn't have the resources that the father had, like that Nabunga had. And as a result, they may have perished in war or they might have fought in a battle that just ended in disaster and Yusuke was killed. And, you know, in Japanese literature and writing, I, I honestly believe something like that would have been mentioned, but it's a very good possibility because he was considered ronin and that, you know, he was considered a foreigner Maybe that the Japanese and the victors of this who wrote the history may have just decided that that part wasn't important to the story and that it just didn't include that information. But all record, like I said, stopped mentioning him after uh, Yusuke uh, had witnessed the death of his master and he had fled. Okay, so we got died, went to another country, or stayed in Japan. Uh, another possibility is he went back home to Africa. Like I said, he had the resources, so it is possible he took a ship and he went back to where his homeland was and maybe he found his people and that he was able to live another quite nice life with them and that's why nobody heard about him anymore. Um, and so that's also another possibility. And uh, like I said, uh, 
you know, there was the possibility he died in battle, but there's also the possibility he just lived a life of isolation and solitude and just died of old age, and that's why nobody knows about him. All right, so that's basically just a general summary of the story, and I'm going to finish things up and say what I thought of it. This book is says it's based on a true story. I am just going to say I had a hard time believing all of the facts that were presented. I'm not doubting the author. I know that they are educators and professors, and I definitely thought that Yusuke's story was interesting because it's only recently come to light, I mentioned, and that's because a lot of the work and papers that identified him were basically destroyed or almost destroyed for and not used correctly for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, you know, they were used as wallpaper and things. And then it was eventually discovered through records, I believe, in the either 1800s or 1900s. It was mention of this uh, famous soldier. But he's gone on to inspire movies and television shows. If you've ever seen um, Afro Samurai, if you've seen Yusuke has his own you know Netflix show right now, uh, you know, there are movies and plays and all different kinds of stuff that are made with him. They're telling a story for the first time. And many people are getting uh, a positive light now of somebody who's uh, from Africa in Japan for the very first time. Uh, you know, like I said, Japan is a very isolated country. And it's just, it's nice to hear that there are positive uh, role models of people from different parts of the world that they're seeing uh, Yusuke's story is one of them because it just shows that, you know, somebody could live amongst the Japanese and integrate into their society, which Yusuke absolutely did. And it's proven that he did speak Japanese. He could read and write, which is beyond more what many of his countrymen did. Um, you know, he was, I would argue, probably one of the top uh, famous people in Japan at that time. His, you know, uh, his appearance caused riots. There's all types of information that is found. Um, but yeah, just, I just saying the sources we have are rather limited about the actual person. And, uh, I, I don't a hundred percent believe that all of this is based on true factual information. I hope it is. But anyway, that's just my opinion of the book. I give it a three out of five, uh, mainly because of that reason, uh, mainly because I enjoyed the story and it was very informative, but I don't know if I can hundred percent believe everything that was said about him. And like I said, the author does mention that he does do a lot of speculation about what happened in the end because we don't have those resources. So I mentioned all the sort of possibilities. But that's the story of Yusuke. That's the story of the African Samurai book. I hope you guys check it out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you guys decide to share it with a friend. And if you want to leave any feedback, please do so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.